to his children. Amen. This is what we're going to do today. We're going to worship and encounter the living God. Let's all, let's all stand up and, and get ready to give God a great big praise. Come on. We love you, Jesus. We bless you. We bless you. Lord, visit us this afternoon with your presence. Speak loud and clear. Reveal yourself to us this afternoon as we draw near to you. Lord, will you draw near to us? We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on.
Have your way in this place. We wait for you. We wait for you. We wait for you to walk in the room. Do that again. We wait for you. We wait. Shekinah glory come down, Shekinah glory come down. Here we are, standing in your presence. Here we are, standing in your presence. Shekinah glory come down, Shekinah release the fullness of your When you move, we want more when you 
God, we want to be world changers and roof breakers and history makers, God. And we don't want to stop, God. We refuse to quit until you come back. Until you come back, Jesus. Jesus, 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 you are the one we live for. God, you are the one we are willing to die for. Oh, Lord, just fill us up, God, today. Take this moment to just press into his presence. Ask him for something this year that you want to see him do in your life. That you want to go big for God. That you want to go big for God. You want to go bolder than you've ever been. You want to go deeper than you've ever been. And you are not turning back. Though 10,000 may fall at one side and 1,000 at the other, that you will serve the Lord. You will not go back to the way you were. You will not turn back. There is no fear that can shake you because your God is bigger. When the trials come and during the year that you will say, I know that my God called me into his presence. He called me to change this world one person at a time. And that I will go where he tells me to go and I will do what he tells me to do. And I will say what he tells me to say. And the devil can take his lies back to hell where they came from. Let this be a 
a sacrifice. Let me dedicate my life to worship you. Mm. Won't you let this be a sacrifice? Let me dedicate my life to worship you. I'm a lover of your presence. I'm a lover of your presence. I'm a lover of your presence. A passion, a passion stirring deep inside. You're all that really satisfies. We worship you. A passion, a passion stirring deep inside. You're all that really satisfies. We worship you. We are lovers of your presence. We are lovers of your presence. Tell them today. We are lovers of your presence. And it's all we want to be. We are lovers of your presence. We are lovers of your presence. We are lovers of your presence. And it's all we want to be. to make you know you know as I was praying for today the Lord really convinced me that I'm not speaking to 20 people today I'm speaking to hundreds of thousands of people if not more if anybody here has seen the um, the Reinhard Bonnke meetings in Nigeria and you see the sea of people panning out 
that are crying out yes to Jesus, making their decision to, to live for the Lord. I see that this afternoon. I don't just see you, but I see who God has called you to reach. Once upon a time, Billy Graham was a youngster, got led to the Lord by his Sunday school teacher. That Sunday school teacher, though he was ministering at a small North Carolina country church to a group of kids, that Sunday school teacher was really ministering to Soldier Field. Amen? Because later on in his life, that's where he preached. That's where he went. And, and, and across the nation, across the world. I think about our pastor, our visionary leader. When his mom led him to the Lord at, at the kitchen table, she wasn't just leading him to the Lord. He was a broken young man, but she was leading a generation of broken young people. How many can attest that? I was one to the Lord through this church. We were made to love God. We were made to know God. That's what we're discovering this afternoon. So let's just bow our heads in prayer. Lord, what did you make us for? We know there are things clearly taught in Scripture. Love God, love people, read our Bibles, live holy, go to church. But Lord, there are good works you have prepared in advance for us to do. It has been my earnest prayer that you reveal that to us this afternoon. So as we go forth with the word of God uh, today, Lord, let everybody with an earshot of this message not hear my words, but hear your heart through the words. And while I speak a general message that can apply to a general audience, Lord, may you direct it specifically to specific people speaking specific words. Lord, here we are, a sacrifice. We dedicate our lives. We're here, Lord, because we're considering that. We're contemplating giving up all, going for broke for the call that you have for us, Lord. And we believe you'll meet us this afternoon. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Listen, we're going to do this a little more intimately today. We're going to all go to this side of the sanctuary like one big uh, happy family. All on this side. This is actually when we do evangelism, this is how we do it. Uh, we meet at this side. We have our table set here, and this is where the teaching comes forward. And so for this size group, we thought it would be, be good I want to thank Professor Brian Darrell for coming, making the drive from Kenosha, Wisconsin. One of the faculty here, mighty man of God. He works with the Kenosha cohort there. If you want to know what the curriculum is like, you can, you can pick his brain. If you want an experience of the class and, and what's being taught here, he can, he's, he's worked with us for a great number of years and, and can really speak a lot and, and pour into you a lot. Amen. I have been associated with SUM since 2008, um, amen, and I'm still here. I was in the bachelor's program, I got my bachelor's degree here, went on and got my master's degree here, 
They hired me as faculty, and now I am a cohort advisor. And for me, this is living the dream. Very proud to be a part of this school. Very proud to be what, what I feel is not just uh, an organization, but a movement. Amen? SUM has made an indelible mark on my life and is, in fact, uh, ha- plays a large part in the DNA of this church. Our pastor, our visionary leader, Joe Y. Rostek, got trained in New Orleans in the late 90s by the founders of the school, by Chancellor George No, by Pastor Anthony Freeman, by Richard Millen, the people who founded this school. And they imparted to him certain convictions, convictions about the Holy Spirit, about the power of God, about radical, bold evangelism, about a standard of holiness and discipleship. And those are the things that transferred right over into this church. They're the things that transferred over into my life and ministry. I want to say about SUM, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it in Chicago. We're the only fully accredited, spirit-filled Bible college in Chicago. Now, there will be other places. Come on, that's... Come on. Now, if you want a certificate, that's fine. At at another spirit-filled school or institute... Uh, if you want a degree from a school that does not embrace the Pentecostal gift, the promised Holy Spirit that the Father gives us for ministry, you can go to other schools that I won't name. We, we love them. We bless them. But this is the only spirit-filled church, uh, the only spirit-filled Bible college in this city, the only one you'll find, the only one. Further, we have the cohort model where churches like this across the country have partnered with SUM to train up leaders in the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And so people are getting a top-notch theological training from men like Brian Darrell and, and like myself even. Not only that, but they're being trained in the local church in that context They're getting personal mentoring in the local church. The Bible says you have many teachers but few fathers. And so it combines both. You have the best teachers, but you stick with the fathers. You stick with the mothers. You stick with the people that brought you here and the people that helped you discover your calling and the people that believed in you and the people that can look you in the eye and challenge you to greater heights. And practicum ministry, the stuff that you're learning in class, is actually being put into practice. Here at this cohort, we have our children's ministry that some of our students do as a practicum. We have evangelism ministry that many of our students do as a practicum. Youth ministry that we do. Gang outreach ministry. All of these things that we're doing as a practicum. Building the local church as part of our Bible college education There is nothing like it. I'm not afraid to say that. It's a big claim, and I'm not afraid to say it. Nothing like it. Now, I have asked my good brother, Jose. I'm so proud of him. Could you just come in? He has, Jose Riesco has completed all of his coursework um, already for his graduation, and he is going to have his ceremony next month. He'll receive his, his degree. And am I right in saying you are basically, you're, you're going to continue for the masters? That's, that's in the works, Lord willing. Right? He had the, <laughs> he had the terrorist beard. I'm sorry. You got to call what it is. The Abraham beard. The Abraham beard. Yeah, Father Abraham. 
So proud of this brother. I'm proud he represents us. He's going to take just a moment to share what, what his uh, experience has meant for him. Amen. <laughs> Man, thanks for uh, having me, Jared and Joe. And everybody who I stand on their shoulders, amen. I stand on MPI's shoulders, SUM's shoulders. Let's give them a, let's give them a, a, a honor. Let's honor them. I, give honor, give respect when respect's due. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Jared, everybody here. I want to share a quick testimony because you can look around here and you can say, man, Chicago's got 8 million plus. There's about 30 of us here. How are we going to take Chicago for Jesus? But I want to tell you kind of what his word was. Piggybacking on it. You think we're only talking to 30. We're only going to reach a couple. We're going to reach the city and then some for Come Jesus. On. Amen. And there's been times, amen, there's been times that me, uh, Yuli, even Steve would go out. There'd be a couple of us preaching in the hood. And, and you get a moment, a moment of tempting to think. Man, there's only a couple of us. But I would then think, no, 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 there's more with us than with them. Amen. There's more with us than with them. And this came to me. I had a whole little uh, thing ready to go. But then while we were worshiping, God gave me this. This is Judges 7, verse 13 to 14. And I feel like I'm talking to Gideon's 300 right here. Amen. This is Gideon's 300. They was going for battle, and this is what happened. This is how the Lord encouraged Gideon with 300 dudes to attack a whole army. So Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. So he arrived at the enemy's camp, and he's hearing this guy tell his friend the dream, the enemy. He goes, I had a dream. He was saying a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites. The whole, and the whole camp into his hands. And you could put us in there. You could say this can be nothing other than the Lord Jesus Christ and MPI-SUM cohort. God has given Chicago and the whole camp into his hands. Amen. Yeah. So just because there be a few of us, man, there's more with us than against us. Amen. And I've experienced that personally on the streets. Let that bless you guys. Amen. Thanks, man. Thank you for that word, brother. Love your heart. Love your passion. Jose and Ulysses right here in the front row, they are out there faithfully Thursday nights ministering uh, to gang members, going to the west side, going to the south side, and uh, ministering over there. Uh, let's get right into the message, shall we? I've, I'm, I've sold you a bit on SUM, but really God has to tell you that you're called, amen? God has to tell you that this is for you. And so you walk out of here, not because I talked you into something, not because you got excited. I want you to make a sober decision today. Amen? And so in order to do that, we must count the cost. Everyone say, count the cost. I have handouts. Uh, they were given out. Brother Steve, everybody has them, right? Thank you. Thank you so much. Luke 14, 25 through 35. Let's look at it together. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? 
If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those who do not give up everything, uh, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If it is, if it is neither fit for the soil nor the manure pile, it is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Before I exegete this text just a bit, let me tell you about three kinds of calling. This is in your handouts. Number one is the call to salvation. That is the call that goes out to all mankind. God wants all men to be saved and to understand the truth. God wills that none should perish. God's chosen method of getting this good news of salvation out is people. People like you. Amen? And people like me. That is God's will for all mankind. He calls all men to be saved. Secondly, you have the call to discipleship. Once a person has received that call of salvation, once someone has put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are called then to be his disciple. This is a universal calling. Um, it is plain from the New Testament that we are not meant just to believe and then wait till we go to heaven, but we are to believe and then become committed followers of Jesus, applying his teaching in every part of life. And this calls, by the way, for participating in the church. Let me say something for a minute. Paul had many fellow workers. You read about these people. He gives his shout outs in like Romans 16. He talks about Phoebe, Epaphras and all these people. Colossians 4 has another list. He talks about co-workers. And many of these people were lay people. They were the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. They had their nine to five, but they understood as Christians, hey, I take a part in what God is doing. I build the kingdom. So they worked with Paul. They labored with Paul. Some of them went to jail with Paul and suffered with Paul. But they were lay people doing their thing for the Lord. In our church, we have policemen. We have people of various um, uh, nine to five jobs, things they went to school for, things they were trained for that they do for their living, but they also serve in the church because that's what God wants every Christian to do. Amen? So there's the call to discipleship, and then there's the call to vocational ministry, and this goes to those disciples whom God has chosen. Look at uh, Jeremiah 1 verse 5. God speaks to the prophet, and he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah had a very specific calling. He had a specific role, not to be just a godly and righteous man. God wants everyone to be godly. God wants everyone to be righteous. But there was a special job, a special assignment that he gave to Jeremiah, and we're calling that his calling. Amen? Look also at Galatians 1.15. In the notes... Now, Paul borrows the same language from Jeremiah. He says in Galatians 1.15, the Apostle Paul, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, everyone say, called by His grace, by grace. was pleased to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, and then later I returned to Damascus. We'll, we'll, we'll stop there. 
But Paul had a specific calling. He was called by God's grace. He was called to be an apostle, a a, a missionary, essentially, to the Gentiles, to travel from city to city, preach the gospel, make the disciples plant churches, and to write three-fourths of the New Testament. He was a busy boy. Here's Here's how I would make the distinction between someone who has the call of a disciple but they're going to do something else for their nine to five and someone who has the call to like vocational ministry to lead to really and and, and the key word is vocational you do this this is your nine to five this is your living this is your livelihood now there can be gray areas some people have to do other jobs while they're in the ministry i get that but here's what i think the difference is there's a specific ministry god has given you that's the first thing. And then the second thing is the training. It's the ministry God has given you, specific. God has given you a call to do some specific kind of ministry to really lead and spearhead something for the kingdom of God. And the second is the training that goes into it. So what's the difference between you and the plumber? The plumber went through plumbing school, through, through that kind of training. You went to Bible school for that kind of training. Paul had a great deal of Bible knowledge as an ex-Pharisee, but he went to Arabia for three years to get revelation from Jesus. Similarly, SUM students go to SUM for three years and get revelation from Jesus. That's the plan, a three-year bachelor's degree, right? And so I'm talking, what I'm about to say applies to everyone. Whether you walk away and say, you know, this really isn't for me, or whether you say, yes, this is for me, I do have that calling um, the call to discipleship is all the same. The call to forsake all for Jesus is, is, is really the same. Let me read to you what's here in the notes, if you can follow with me here, this paragraph. Jesus made plain to the surrounding crowds that to follow him required a lifestyle of sacrifice and complete obedience. He used the strongest language so as to deter anyone from answering his call of discipleship under false pretenses. Jesus ordered them to self-evaluate, to see if they were really willing to break all ties with this world, including even family, and if they truly understood who he was and what he came to accomplish. Nothing less than everything was required to be Jesus' disciple. However, today, as you consider the call of vocational ministry, you will find the costs are multiplied and the standards much higher to accomplish the weighty work he has prepared for you. You cannot look to what others are doing in ministry. You must find out what he has called you to and say yes in faith that he will keep you no matter what. Jesus used two examples in Luke 14. He talks about a building project. And before you undertake a building project, you look at your budget, you look at your materials, you do logistics, right? To see if you can actually complete what you start. We're building the kingdom of God. Amen. You are undertaking a project in God's kingdom. He talks about waging a war. Are you ready to declare war against the devil? And he says, listen, this is what you got to do. And this is what it looks like. If you don't hate your family, even your own life, you can't accomplish this. What does that look like? Maybe you were a businessman. You met Jesus and you're a businessman. And now your career competes with the call of Jesus. What do you do? You hate your career. You hate your life. You you come to Jesus out of your, and your families, they're not super happy with it. 
and allegiance to your family competes with allegiance to the call of Jesus, what do you do? You gotta hate your family. Gotta give up everything. So for us, let me go through these points. We're counting the cost of vocational ministry. What does it take? Well, I have four points here. Number one, it is to set an example of holiness and integrity for the church. To set an example of holiness and integrity for the church. Your lifestyle's got to be on point. You can't just talk it. You got you to gotta walk it. You can be a basketball player and beat your wife and get fined and come back next season and still go to the finals and have everyone wear your jersey. You can be a doctor and do drugs and still be an amazing doctor and pull off stuff like, like we see on our favorite TV shows, right? You can't do those things. You can't be a corrupt person. You can't be a liar, a thief, a pervert and be an example for the church of Jesus Christ. James chapter 3 verse 1 says that not many of you should try to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who are teachers will be judged more strictly. We need to set an example. We need people to follow us as we follow Jesus. And so are you ready for that? Are you ready for that scrutiny? Listen, listen, I, I mess around as a pastor. I mess around on my wife. I mess around and in, in, in I lack integrity um, in some sort of way. That can cost me. And not only will it cost me, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt people. It's going to hurt people. Remember, I said, not just you guys, but people you're, you're supposed to reach. And then what happens to the people you're reaching? And they look at you, and they look at your shattered testimony. What will that do? God will hold you accountable. God will hold you accountable. Are you ready to live pure and holy the rest of your life, knowing it's high stakes, knowing everything rides on it? Second, submit to the teaching and training required for your ministry. This really calls for humility, folks. You have to admit today that you don't know what you don't know. You don't have it all together yet. You may have a call to reach the nations. You may have a call to, to preach uh, to be an evangelist and preach like Reinhard Bonnke or whatever. You may have a call to plant all these churches, but let's face it, today you could barely uh, put your underwear on the right way, some of you. Okay? You need teaching and training. You need people that know what they're talking about and have done it to really teach and train and mentor you. There has to be that process. It's not only an academic process. This is what SUM provides, but it's practical. It's actually doing the thing, and there's that mentor-discipleship aspect. You have people that are walking ahead of you. The Paul-Timothy dynamic is really the perfect way to describe this. Look at Philippians 2, uh, verse 19. Philippians 2.19, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So Paul is saying, I will send Timothy. I can trust Timothy. 
because I taught him everything I know. I can trust Timothy because I, I showed him how to live as a godly man. I know he's going to follow my example. I know I can trust him. I know he has integrity. Timothy uh, did not start there. It was a process. It took time, and it was a relational thing. Again, that's why I love the cohort model because you get that here. We get that in chapel. We, you, you get that with me, students, right? I hope you do. That we're really holding you accountable, that it's not simply like I'm your supervisor or something, right? But we're in a relationship where we're calling you to greater heights in the Lord and really teaching you what you don't know, correct, rebuke, encourage, and all that good stuff. You have to submit to that. That is one of the prerequisites of the calling is that you have that training. Number three, serve, suffer, and sacrifice beyond others. I don't like to use consumer analogies because we're here to make disciples, not consumers, right? But let's say you go to Walmart and you see a spill on the floor. Is it your job to clean up the spill? No, you actually have no obligation. You might be nice and, and tell a worker, hey, there's a spill here, but it's not your job. You're not obligated whatsoever. If you just walk by it, really no, one's, no one can hold that against you, right? Now think about the church, the church, okay? This is your work. We work for Jesus here. When you have that call of ministry, this is your church. You work here. Your well-being and the well-being of the church is intertwined. And so when things go wrong, you're not waiting for someone else to do it. And, the one, and, and going back to the whole spill on the floor thing, that's what I want to see in SUM students. I see some people, they just see stuff on the floor. They see things that are messed up, that, you know, things that are jacked up, and they just don't even think twice. They don't think, hmm, maybe I should do something about it, or maybe I should tell somebody about it, because they're not thinking like, I take ownership of this. This belongs to me, right? We take ownership of this church. Recently, we switched to the 9 and 11 services. I stepped up. I'm doing child care, and I said, hey, I work for the church. If not me, then who else? If not me, then who else? So I'm with the toddlers, praise be to God. And, and we're doing it for God's people. We're doing it to give, to give Catherine a break. Come on. You're once a month in that rotation. Don't it feel good? Don't it feel good? Okay. I'm glad to do that for you. I'm glad to do it for you. I'm glad to do that to facilitate what's going on in here. I'm glad to do that to, uh, to raise up the next generation of kids. Nothing in this church is beneath me. Take ownership here. Let me show you how Paul really looked at this. Here, look at those S words under number three. Serve, suffer, and sacrifice. Come on, that's your way of life. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 8. Some of you have a very romantic image of ministry. Now, I'm going to throw out some names you may or may not know. Uh, you you want to look like um, Stephen Furtick, right? I'm going to Bible school so I can be like Stephen Furtick. I'm going to write a best-selling book. I'm going to have a big church. I'm going to have viral video clips. I'm going to get tweeted. It's going to be amazing. Amazing. Praise be to God if he gives you a platform. Praise be to God if he gives you a book deal. Not against those things. But the vast majority of God's servants are not celebrities. They're not. Look how Paul regarded the apostles. He said... Again, this, I think, would be a distinction because we're really taking the hits. We're really bearing the brunt of the devil's attacks and carrying the load of the ministry. This is how he says, 1 Corinthians 4, 8. 
through 13. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign in that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so we might also reign with you. He's speaking to the Corinthian church. And they're saying, hey, Paul, why do you look shabby? Why do you work, um, why do you work menial jobs? Why are you suffering? W look at us. We're balling. We're, we're all that. And they actually think they're better than him. Verse 9. For it seems to me that God put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the universe, to angels, as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We're dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we kindly endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this point. You ready to be the scum of the earth for Jesus? Ready? He's ready. Now, I, I, can't, I, I don't know what God has specifically in store for you. God has blessed me. I can't say I've, I've gone hungry, clearly. Can't say I've <laughs> undergone all of these sufferings, but I'm ready. Whatever, whatever he says, whatever the sacrifice, I got to be willing to make it. Are you ready for that? Not to be loved by the world, but to be put out by the world. Are you ready to work hard? Are you ready for blood, sweat, and tears? Are you ready to die a thousand deaths? I think we'll have Jerry. She's still here. We'll, we'll get ready to, to pray and to reflect, so we'll get her on the guitar. <laughs> Lastly, we're called to fight. Fight for your calling and testimony every day of your life. Look at 1 Timothy 1.18. When I think of this passage, I think about a lot of services I've been a part of where young people and old alike are really just completely open to what God wants for them. They're completely submitted to His will. And they're at altars like this one. And God is speaking to them. God is giving them vision. I wouldn't be here if I didn't have that experience. God is, has spoken to me. God has spoken clearly. And this is why Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. Once upon a time, Timothy was at an altar, if you could picture that. Hands raised, singing hill songs. And, and in another passage, it talks about the gift that was imparted by the laying on of hands. 
Here comes Paul. Here comes Barnabas. Here comes Silas. They come around him. In the name of Jesus, I declare you are a shepherd of God's people. I declare you are a light in Ephesus. Right? The word of God came to him. God spoke, imparted a calling, imparted a gifting. And Timothy treasured that in his heart. That's why he says, I give you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, or fight the good fight. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Are you ready to fight? Every day of your life, you're going to fight. The devil's mad at you. They didn't want you to be here. Did anyone have to fight to get here this afternoon? Come on. He's mad at you. Oh, Lord. Everybody stand up. In an attitude of prayer, we love you, Lord. I want to talk to three people today. Three, three people if you're in this position. Number one, you're wondering, do I have that call to vocational ministry? Should I go to SUM? Am I supposed to be a pastor? Am I supposed to do this for my livelihood or should I pursue something else? If you're in that boat, I want, can you just raise your hand? If anyone's in that boat, you are wondering, is this really for me? Got a couple of you. Brothers, will you come up here uh, if you raise your hand? This is not to out anybody. We love everybody. But we want to encourage you. Brothers, students, come around these men. All the, all the male students, all the alumni, come around these brothers. Lay hands on them and pray for them. Second group of people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Second group of people are those that want to know what kind of ministry God has for me? What is it? You're perhaps still in the dark. You know it's something. But, but it's not clear to you. If that is you, you just want a sense of God's heart, God's direction, God's purpose. What, what he's gifted you with. Will you raise your hands? I've got a couple of you. Ashley, will you pray? Christina, uh, Jackie, Amy. Uh, Christina, could we come around these these ladies here who had their hands up? Let's let's pray together. Des, why don't the ladies just get in a circle here?